This is Engineering Heroes. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 27 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that presents the incredible engineers that are shaping our society and battling our challenging issues. My name is Melanie and my co-host in our podcast, the resident engineer speaking to us from the trenches is Dominic. Our guest today is an Associate Research Fellow at the Sustainable Building Research Centre at the University of Wollongong. She has a Bachelor of Chemical Engineering and for a time worked as an Industrial Process Engineer before moving into eye-making research. She's now involved in field research and monitoring environment conditions in social housing properties to understand the key drivers of condensation and mould issues. She's also currently involved in coordinating the Sustainable Homes Challenge, which is an Australian-wide university challenge calling for students to work together to design homes from waste-derived building products. Very exciting. Today on our show, we speak with Leela Kempton. Both of Leela's parents were scientists and were gaining their PhDs while she was in high school. But while Leela herself was very good at maths and science, her mum actually told her not to look into science as there were no jobs there. And then one day, Leela attended a Women in Engineering Open Day at the University of New South Wales. And there were some women who were chemical engineers and spoke about their exciting and very yummy work at the Cadbury factory. I knew right then I had found my dream job. I was going to be a chemical engineer who made chocolate. I have to say, if I had met those engineers, I would also be a chemical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, So that's what I did. I studied chemical engineering at the University of Sydney. Oh, wow. Did you end up working in a chocolate factory? No, I didn't. Ah. I really wanted to get into the food industry. But when I was looking for graduate jobs, there wasn't anything that really suited. And instead, I ended up working for a consultant engineer down at the Steelworks, which was not really what I was expecting to do, but turned out really well. So is this, have we gone into your first job territory now? Yep. (laughs) Why don't you tell us about your first role out of uni? So the first role that I worked on, I I worked for a consulting engineering company, but I actually was seconded into the steelworks. And I was working on a project uh, which was relining one of the blast furnaces at the steelworks. So this was a like $300 million project that went for a total of about five years slightly delayed because of the global financial crisis hitting about in the early stages. So my role in that, I was working on the cooling systems, which were all the different water cooling systems around the blast furnace. And I got to design pipework runs, size up equipment like heat exchanges, pumps, tanks, orifice plates. I also did some hydraulic modeling of all the systems. So working out where the pipes would go and what the pressure drops would be. And I also got to work in the control system, so developing all the emergency control procedures because basically the cooling systems are vital for running the furnace and if anything goes wrong with the cooling systems, there needs to be redundancies and backups. I think we had about five layers of redundancy. If something went wrong, then other things could happen. So it was a real pure process engineering job. We had a great team on the project. And it was a really interesting project, but but it did involve a lot of long hours, especially during the construction and the commissioning phase. But the best thing of all was just being able to see something that we designed actually built 
and then testing it all out and making sure that it all worked and seeing it all in person. It was just an amazing experience and troubleshooting when things went wrong because they didn't always go right. <laughs> and not a chocolate in sight. How <laughs> no, no, no chocolate, just smelly blast furnaces. <laughs> But it's amazing that you, from what was chemical engineering, coming from chemical engineering to what you were doing, I would have assumed would have been more along the lines of mechanical engineering, which is sort of what I did. So just goes to show the versatility. It really doesn't matter what degree you do when you come out the other end. And for that matter, mm. the amount of people who come out the end thinking, I'm going to do this and then end up doing something completely different. Like I'm going to make chocolate. And um, and then obviously not making chocolate, working on blast furnaces. So yeah, it's, it's strange where it takes you, where engineering yeah. takes you. And I think there's this misconception around chemical engineering too, that people think you do chemical engineering so you like chemistry and you end up working with chemicals or those sorts of things. But it's probably process engineering is more descriptive of what we learn because we learn about how things happen and how things are made and how to control it. But there is a real overlap with mechanical engineering there. So my boss was a process engineer with a mechanical engineering degree. <laughs> um, but he thought like a process engineer, just like me and the other guy I worked with who was a chemical engineer. There are a lot of overlaps. Yeah, the, the chemical engineering, just when you're explaining, I'm like, where's the chemistry in that? And But as Don was saying and what you were saying, it's more process and stuff. <laughs> so where are you working now? So it's a bit of a long story. <laughs> After the blast furnace reline, I had a really strong interest in the actual blast furnace itself. So I actually moved into iron and steel making research and to sink my teeth into some of the more technical aspects of the blast furnace and how it worked. And I did my PhD in that group looking at particle scale modelling of the furnace, particularly where the iron ore particles start to soften and melt and change shape and how that impacts the whole operating of the furnace. So that was really interesting. Then I had a, I had a couple of kids while I was doing that. And then there was a big downturn in the steel industry. So I found myself at home with the kids and enjoying some time with them for a little while. Silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect timing, actually. Oh, but then my eldest started school and I thought, well, I want to try and get back into work. But I wanted to do something a bit different. And this comes back to, to your comment about the versatility in engineering. People had always told me that engineering is about teaches you how to think and especially doing a PhD, my supervisors had always told me the whole way through, it wasn't about the project you did, but the way it teaches you to learn and to research and to study. So taking those things, I thought, well, I've always had a strong interest in sustainability and I wanted to move into something completely different. So I started to look at what research groups were around, particularly around the University of Wollongong, because that's where we lived and I didn't want to move. And I came across a group called the Sustainable Buildings Research Centre. And I'd always thought building designs were fascinating. I thought maybe this would be really great. So I thought I could transfer my skills from heat transfer of the blast furnace to heat transfer of a house. It's not that much different. And I managed to kind of talk my way into some projects there. And instead, I've discovered a whole new world of research and ideas and have ended up working on a really wide range of projects from looking at mould issues in social housing properties through to looking at the life cycle analysis of multi-storey buildings. So 
it's been a really steep learning curve, but a very rewarding challenge. And a long way from that blast furnace, I'll say. A and long from way from the blast furnace. <laughs> and even longer from chocolate. <laughs> I, was, I was going to go there. I'm like, God, it's even further from the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're looking at how people can build buildings sustainably? Our group looks at quite a wide range of research issues from right through from the design, so the actual design and materials that are used in buildings, all the way through to how people live in buildings and the impacts that people have in them because the way people live and use their building has just as much impact as the design of the building itself. Yeah, we've spoken about it before, I'm sure, um, on the podcast that people just think about the building and they throw up the building, but they forget about the holistic nature of it as well, just in regards to not only now, but also in the future in relation to the systems that are in it, the adaptability of it in the future, and you know, just exactly how when you're building it now, how that's going to play into future generations and how they use it and how they want to use it and whether or not you're making the best use of the resources when you're building it right at this mm. moment in time. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it's just a case of throw them up as quick as you can and get them done as cheaply as you can to make lots and lots of money in the long run. Everybody suffers when it's done like that. Where you spend a bit more money up front and you definitely get the benefits further down the track. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you look at it from an energy perspective in making buildings more energy efficient from the design the amount of energy that they can save over the lifetime is amazing. Whereas a lot of people just think, well, you stick solar panels on the roof and it's all good. Yeah, There's a bit more to it than just yeah. that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's a three-line tick box. Are we putting that in? Yes. Are we putting that in? Okay. It's sustainable. It's great. Let's go. There's so much more that you could do. So one of the most exciting challenges that I'm actually working on at the moment is running an international student challenge called the Sustainable Homes Challenge. So the concept of this, it's actually been philanthropically funded through the McKinnon Walker Trust at the University of Wollongong. And the concept is to bring 30 students from different backgrounds and disciplines all across the world and get them to design a home from waste-derived building products. So we've been looking at what the students can actually identify and how they can design buildings different, but doing it in a multidisciplinary group, which is really exciting. However, just last week... We had to postpone it until next year because of some other things that are going yeah. on. I think all of society's changed because of COVID-19. So, yeah, that's a massive project to do. Yeah, it's been really exciting. It's sad that we had to postpone it because of the situation with the coronavirus. But, look, we're still planning on running it next year and it'll be really great to get the students in and to see what they can come up with. Because really, they are the ones who have all the ideas. I think if I had have met some engineers from the Cadbury factory when I was a kid, I would probably also be an engineer. And while she has never been involved with chocolate in her career, she's definitely enjoyed herself. Before we get back to Leela, I wanted to let you know that a few things are changing in Engineering Heroes land. Very exciting changes, which we will be starting later in May. I won't say much now, but keep listening to learn more. And to find out more about Leela and the team she's working with over at the University of Wollongong, be sure to check out the May 2020 edition of Create Magazine from Engineers Australia. Now, in this time of struggles and change, Leela wanted to speak to Dom and I about the importance of having resilient engineers. I think one of the things that we really need to think about as engineers 
is the word resilience, which is basically the need to be adaptive, to cope with changing and unexpected circumstances. It's definitely something that people are facing at the moment and our world is just constantly changing. But I think being able to be resilient and adaptive is a huge challenge, not just for engineers, but for the whole world. But for engineers who predominantly design things for the future and work on things for the future, we need to think about what that future is and what it looks like so that what we're doing now is actually able to cope with what comes in the future. Do you feel engineers as a whole hadn't been as resilient in the past? It's a tricky question. I think engineers typically think about the future when they're designing. So they typically plan for what will happen. And I think back to my time at the blast furnace and designing cooling systems. When you do ASOPs and safety procedures, you have to plan for and make sure that you have controls in place for imaginable consequences. So anything that could go wrong, you have to think about what would happen if it did go wrong and what would be the impact and how would you design to make sure that you're controlling that impact. I think where we struggle with resilience is when we don't know what that future looks like Mm. and we can't predict what that future is going to be. And that's where it starts to become a real challenge. And I think part of the problem is it's almost we focus on what we've got in front of us as well. So whilst we've been very good at over the years making buildings more efficient in regards to the economics of them so that we can derive a better product for the client, by the same token, that has then left us in a position where if we had to build a bigger, better, stronger then it would have had a bit more resilience to it, but it's balancing those two factors. I think it's only something that sort of mm. has been creeping back in because I know on a project that I was working on when we started doing the design, it's been going for quite a long time now. It was about six years ago and they were talking about storm events and we were planning on not just doing the design for the current Australian standards, but we had to take it that bit further because they knew that in the future a one in a hundred storm is not going to be a one in a hundred storm it's more likely to become a one in 20 storm so I I think we're definitely on the right path it's just trying to make sure that we're doing the right things and one of the other aspects of buildings especially is the need to protect buildings through bushfires so Mm -hmm. resilience is talked about a lot in terms of buildings ability to withstand and provide protection against bushfires which we know as Australia's just been through the last few months, bushfires are getting worse and worse each year. And I think we're seeing that as something that is growing, but also designed for it, to, to design to withstand those changing conditions. Yeah. And that's certainly an area that is growing as well. So there's been a lot of changes to building codes around bushfire prone areas. There's been a lot of work that's gone into looking at how they, buildings can be designed better and I think a lot of the, the buildings that will be built in replacing those houses that were lost in the recent bushfires will be built to much different standards than what they were replacing. I've learned that as a parent, one of the key things you want to teach your children is resilience. And I'm like, well, what is resilience? So I've looked into it and it's actually not just being strong and staying forward facing and moving on in the face of difficulties it's actually also adapting being able to learn a lesson and move left next time and 
I'll move right this time and, you know, being able to adapt to evolving changes. And mm. have you felt engineers have been adaptive in that respect, that they've learnt from things that have come and they're actually able to make these big changes that are needed? Yeah, for sure. I think there's plenty of evidence of that happening. As we just mentioned, from the design perspective, from designing houses to withstand bushfires, but even things like what many universities around, especially our country and around the world, are doing right now in terms of changing the way that things are taught and being able to mm. deliver complete subjects through online systems and having to adapt there. I guess the thing is that the technology and the capability is there, but it's actually taking that technology and capability and turning it into a reality. And I think that's something that's happening a lot for engineers in different areas too. The way they work is different. A lot of them work a lot more remotely. That means that you can get the right perspectives and the right people involved, even if they're not physically there. That's always helpful. The issue of climate change and the impact that that's having on our world, people are realising that the impacts of climate change are real. And if we don't change what we're doing now, then those impacts are going to affect us quite strongly in the future. And so we need to be resilient and adapt what we're doing now, not just to prevent climate change, but also to deal with the natural consequences that are going to come from the effects of that climate change happening. Are there solutions that you can see in regards to resilience that are being put forward and we will be seeing more of in the future? I think as we look around the world around us at the moment, I think we can see people are learning that they have to adapt and they have to change. Absolutely. People are becoming aware. I think people realise that the future of this world depends on us being able to make those changes now. What are your thoughts on the future of engineering? I think the world around us is changing and that's clear to everyone now. After what we've seen in Australia with the bushfires over summer and the current situation with the whole world with this coronavirus, no one can stay where they are and think that changes in the world and the climate around them are not going to affect them personally. And I think engineers are uniquely positioned to identify and to take these things into account when they design and plan and operate, not just to cope with and to survive, but to really thrive in the, the changing environment that we find ourselves in. And so what would you say to people just starting out? One thing I always stress to people who are interested in engineering is just the diversity that it offers. And I think my career is a bit of a testament to that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I strongly believe that engineering teaches you how to think, how to approach and solve problems. And those skills can be applied in so many different areas. So you don't just become an engineer and then have the same job for the rest of your life. You can follow what you're passionate about and bring those engineering skills to just about anything that you want to do. I agree completely. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, and it has been often said on this, I, I started out doing mechanical engineering because I was going to work in the World Rally Championship. And I now have a <laughs> building consultancy firm. So I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Following but a dream, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no,
It does. Life happens. Life does happen. And to wrap up, we always like to have little key takeaways uh, for our listeners. What's a piece of engineering that has impressed you? Being in the building industry now, you think maybe something like an impressive building, but to me, it, it still comes back to the blast furnace. <laughs> blast furnaces have been around for hundreds of years, and yet there's so much we don't understand about what happens inside them. Engineers and metallurgists have studied and they've created models of them, and everything that they do really is still largely educated guesswork. It doesn't help that all the really important stuff happens at temperatures where you just can't use a probe to find out what's happening. So it makes it a little bit difficult, but there's just so many complicated things in a blast furnace. As a chemical engineer, you get taught all the different unit operations, like chemical reactions and heat transfer and mass transfer. And the blast furnace contains every single one of them in the one piece of equipment. So it's quite amazing. Yeah. And just finally to wrap everything up, Do you have an engineer that you admire? (laughs) Sure. One engineer that I admire is Professor Judy Raper. So she was the Dean of Engineering at Sydney Uni when I started my undergraduate degree. And she was actually the first female Dean of Engineering there. And even as I was a first year undergrad student, she had time to meet up with and encourage the students. And having like a prominent female, and she was a chemical engineer too, but having such a prominent female role model to look up to from the start of my degree was just amazing. So she moved to America before I completed my degree, but our paths actually crossed again because she moved to the University of Wollongong. Uh, She was the Deputy Vice Chancellor of Research there for a number of years. So after I started at the University of Wollongong, I got a chance to catch up with her and reconnect with her and she was still just as inspiring and encouraging as I remembered her. She was always really passionate about working towards gender equality within engineering and trying to identify ways, uh, especially in teaching engineering, that would make it more equal and more appealing and just, yeah, try and reach that equality between the genders in engineering. So she's actually now, she's now a founding dean of something called the PLUS Alliance, which is looking at exploring and delivering different ways of teaching engineering across the world. So she's taken that passion and has really run with it. Yeah, she sounds amazing, like a real trailblazer. Yeah, she is. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. That's all right. Thank you for having me. It's been really great. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Engineering Heroes. If you want to know more about our podcast or the episode you just heard, visit our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. The best way for you to show your support for our show is to tell people, either in person or in a review. Either way, just spread the word. Seriously, it is that easy. We look forward to you and your friends joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions.